is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. The U.S. seeing a record number of COVID patients in the hospital, but it's not all bad news. United Airlines CEO makes the case for vaccine mandates. When will we start to see the vaccines for kids under five? And even though more kids getting COVID-19, schools are staying open. We start with the skyrocketing number of cases. More than 140,000 Americans are currently hospitalized with the virus. New pandemic record, but fortunately, doctors say people aren't staying in the hospital as long, and then fewer patients need ventilators. Dr. Marty McCary, professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Doctor, are the numbers giving us a false sense of how severe things are right now? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, We've got a high volume of infection, but in terms of individual cases, It's pretty clear that Omicron is more mild. It's no longer an open question. We've got laboratory data, we've got epidemiological data, and we've got bedside observations. So think of it as a really bad cold season, or you may choose to think of it as a really bad flu season, where most people that you know will probably get Omicron if they haven't had it already. And is it spread the same way? I mean, we do have a volume of patients across the country, but in some of the big cities, you know, thousands of people, yes, in hospitals in in these counties, but not where we were the last winter surge. And then we mentioned some of the, you know, the incidental hospitalizations. So you go in for something, they test everybody. That counts as a COVID patient, right? And that's that's a pretty good number in L.A. County. The public health was just saying that yesterday. Yeah, uh, roughly about half of the hospitalizations with COVID are actually for COVID. That's what's coming out now from the states that are starting to actually break down the numbers. And you're right, the general rules apply with COVID. That is, vulnerable people are more at risk, and you're more likely perhaps to blow it off with Omicron because this is a virus that replicates rapidly in the upper respiratory system. And so we probably see a lot more asymptomatic transmission But at the same time, it is mild. So low-risk people should put things in perspective. You know, we've got raw memories of COVID from last year and from people who were not immune when they got the infection. If you're immune, I think you can feel good about your protection against Omicron. Yeah, but but let's sort of dive into that a little bit deeper, because when we say that low-risk people should treat it pretty much as as a bad cold, but as you know, there are an awful lot of people in this country, indeed all over the world, that depending on what category, what box you want to check off, wouldn't necessarily be listed at least technically as low risk. It could be anything from age to comorbidities to a whole bunch, you know, being overweight. So what should those people take from this? You know, it's hard to really outrun this lion. Omicron is everywhere. I mean, there are um, stories we're hearing of outdoor gatherings of 40 people where 32 of them test positive. About half are asymptomatic and some get sick. So we're not seeing the severe illness at anywhere near the same proportion. But, you know, we've been blowing off respiratory infections for decades. Influenza, it should never be acceptable to show up to work and, and be coughing and slobbering and next to somebody at work. So we should be basically using the same precautions we, we should have adopted a long time ago, which is if you're around someone vulnerable, be careful, stay your distance. If you've been exposed, wear a mask. And if you're sick, stay home. Those are basically the only guideposts that we can use right now. Do we get into some trouble when we say mild? Because mild to me can be different than mild to a doctor, right? Mild to the doctor could mean you're not hospitalized, but, you know, you could be at home with like the worst flu of your life. You still don't 
want this thing. So don't wish it upon yourself thinking you're going to get it over with fast. That's right. Nobody would wish an illness upon anybody. But given the options, this is not a bad path that we're going down, which is a highly transmissible, far more mild infection than the more deadly Delta variant. So again, nobody wants anyone to get this, but you know, there is a silver lining. 10 to 25% of the U.S. population will get a respiratory pathogen, a virus, every year. If somebody has rhinovirus or influenza or parainfluenza or econovirus, we don't say, oh, well, then you can go back to work with those. If you have symptoms, people should probably follow basic public health practice. Dr. Marty McCary, professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. The CEO at United Airlines says that out of 3,000 COVID-positive employees, not a single vaccinated person ended up dead. United was the first major airline to mandate vaccines for its workers. Does this show us that mandates work? Dr. Arthur Kaplan, founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics at the New York University's School of Medicine. So, doctor, is this going to convince other companies who haven't done so yet to put those mandates in place? Well, I do think there are going to be other companies jumping on board, even though the virus is milder and not killing people at the same rate it was, let's say, two years ago in March. It's still causing a lot of hospitalization. People do need ventilator support to get through it, and it means uh, people gone from work. And so businesses pay attention, particularly those like airlines, which want not only to have a workforce to keep their schedule going, and we all know about the cancellations that have been devastating the airline industry, but also to make people feel secure when they fly, that this is a safe environment, similar to cruise ships. So I think you're going to see some effort to push the Biden mandate through big employee employers, get it done. But if not, if the Supreme Court says no, I do think we're going to see businesses, many of them saying to work here, you're going to have to do this. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I think a lot of businesses uh, were waiting because they wanted the cover of federal, you know, a federal mandate to make it palatable for them to mandate that their employees get vaccinated. And if the Supreme Court, as many people think it might uh, issue a maybe maybe even in the next couple of days, uh, a ruling that if nothing else will uh, will stop at least temporarily these mandates from going forward. A lot of businesses may now chicken out and say, well, now we don't have to do it. But my interpretation of what the tweet from the United CEO was getting at was that a lot of companies take the position that, oh, if we mandate vaccines, we're going to lose employees and it's going to be not a place that people want to want to come to work. And I think what he is saying is, yeah, but, you know, in the greater scheme of things, it's a lot better to have your employees live. Right. And they were losing one a week. Uh, to COVID pre-vaccination. So he knows what it means to have uh, employees dying of a disease. He also knows that if you get three shots, the booster, people just don't die. That is the wonder of those vaccines. They, They let you survive with mild or maybe moderate symptoms, but without death. And again, remember the healthcare workforce, huge employers in our country and around the Los Angeles area, my hospital has just announced you must get a booster to work here at NYU. It's a huge system. I see many of the banks and investment companies around here saying, we don't care what the Supreme Court says. If you're going to work for us, we want you vaccinated. Remember, too, a lot of employees have international travel as part of what they do for business. A lot of countries are not going to let you in. We're watching uh, 
Djokovic, right, uh, battle to stay in Australia, the tennis player. But uh, there are many countries you're not going to get in there if you can't prove vaccination. So it, it, since your specialty is, is medical ethics, is a, is a company that, that fails at this stage of the game to mandate vaccination for its employees, is that company then, in your view, unethical? I think they're unethical if they're a company where the employees are not working 100% of them at home. It's hard to argue you need to mandate a vaccine for work if literally everybody is in their house. But short of that, yeah, I think you want to make the workplace safe. You want to tell people to wear hard hats. You want to tell people to wear earplugs when they need them. You want the air that they breathe to not be poisonous. And you want a healthy workforce by getting them vaccinated. Do you think more of us, you know, general population-wise, are kind of catching on to, to what happens with this one, especially? I mean, last two days I've had conversations with people who said, well, I had to schedule my car a week out because the shop's down because of COVID. Yeah. Or I'm going to go to coffee at this shop, but they're closed till Friday because of COVID. Or the restaurants, they keep opening and shutting because of COVID. There's not enough people. Everybody gets it to work. You can't keep places open. So, I don't know, get people shots. Yeah, and I today wanted to get something notarized. Can't do it. Notary's out. Set COVID. <laughs> so I, I, it's, it's come home to roost. Um, I do think it hurts business to have employees out sick. I think it, yeah, I mean, the cruise industry, just to take one obvious example, if they don't get vaccinated, not only can't they staff the cruises, they can't get anybody to go on the cruises. The whole industry falls apart if they don't push vaccination. So I do think the vaccines are safe. I do think the vaccines really do work to protect you from getting very, very sick. I wish they were better at stopping you from getting infected, but they do help you survive, and that's a big plus. So, yeah, I hope we do get a push on vaccination. By the way, you, you, both of you were mentioning all the places that are now saying we can't do something or we're closed because of COVID and reminded me of something which was kind of weird. I went not too long ago to a place I like to get ice cream from and they said uh, i said can i have an ice cream cone and the guy said uh, we don't do cones anymore and i said why not he said because of covid uh, <laughs> and i don't understand that to this day supply chain problem <laughs> maybe or... <laughs> i don't i don't know you know I what at this know. rate if you don't want to do something just say well, there, COVID, yeah. there you go there you go america get a vaccine or there won't be any ice cream cones yes. but how blunt is that there's the stick we needed that's, that's that'll get, get people, people vaccinated you, that's right real quick how is this working you know in countries other than ours are there places that are just having no problem with this yeah, we have a little more vaccine resistance, unfortunately, than many countries. Uh, one interesting thing today, Quebec in Canada announced as a province, if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to pay more for your health insurance. You may even be fined. So some places are starting to really get tough about mandatory vaccination. All right. Dr. Arthur Kaplan, founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics, New York University's School of Medicine. Coming up after a short break. We're still waiting for vaccines to be approved for children under five. For all the talk about vaccines and boosters, sometimes we forget that there is part of the population that isn't eligible yet to get vaccinated. And parents with kids under five are unsure what to do during this current surge in cases. Matt Leon with KYW News Radio in Philadelphia spoke with Dr. Jennifer Hamilton, professor at uh, Drexel's College of Medicine, about when we can expect to see vaccines for the kids under five. I think it's something that we're going to see in the next couple of months. Pfizer and Moderna are both working on vaccines for the under five age group. 
um, Pfizer has had some results already that were not as positive as they would have hoped. Um, Moderna has said that they hope to have material to present to the FDA by the end of January. So looking at the timeline from when that cuts into the FDA, allow another couple of months for things to work their way through the system and be reviewed. We might be looking at vaccines down to six months, hopefully sometime this spring. What is it that takes so long? What is the difference? Is it worrying about if the vaccine's effective? Is it trying to figure out the dosage for a younger, smaller person and make sure there's not too much? I mean, I'm sure it's not just one thing, but why is this different for a three-year-old than it is for a seven-year-old? It's both of the above. Part of the difficulty is that the immune system of a very young child is different than the immune system of a 10-year-old, is different than the immune system of a 70-year-old. We already know it's been practiced for many years that some flu vaccines aimed at seniors have a higher dose than the ones for people in their 20s. And you want to make sure that you get a dose that's strong enough to be effective, but you also don't want to have problems causing more side effects. Uh, Some of these vaccines we have seen concern about uh, blood clots with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The mRNA vaccines have been associated with a very rare uh, side effect of inflammation of the heart called myocarditis. We want to make sure that that's not going to happen if we give these vaccines to young children. Part of the reason is that so many more people who are older have serious outcomes from COVID. At this point, we're recording this in the beginning of January We've had over 800,000 people in the U.S. die from COVID-19. Of that, under 800 have been children 12 and under. So, you know, if you're doing the cost-benefit analysis, you really, really, really want to take the time, make sure the vaccine is as safe as you can possibly get it before you send it out into the world. For the most part, schools across the country have managed to stay open during the current surge in COVID cases, and some health experts think it's a smart policy. Jim Melwertz, also with KYW, with Dr. David Rubin at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia about the importance of keeping schools open and why things are different than they were a year ago. I think it was really important. I think there's a state of panic out there, you know, given what's going on, that that our hospital stepped forward to try to to uh, change the perception out there for most people. And I think the most important thing that comes out of this is that, you know, we have to kind of hit reset uh, in terms of how we think about what uh, COVID in our lives, what it means to schools. And very simply, if I were to sum it up, it would be a recipe, you know, right now when it's really high, just if you're sick, stay home for a few days, um, wait until you're getting better. And if not, you should be in school um and you can wear masks the mask can really help particularly during this the, the peak of this to try to help things uh, uh help things along with our adult healthcare systems um if you're exposed we're all exposed i don't think we can contact trace anymore i think we're all exposed i think we've learned that very quickly in the last couple of weeks if you don't have any symptoms keep that mask on just be careful go to school you know um and if you have any symptoms you know, remove yourself and if you know that just you know, that advice alone will help. Now, we have plenty of tests because we run a really large testing program, but we no longer, as, as uh, some of my colleagues would say, need to chase mild disease. 
We don't need to be doing weekly testing if we're asymptomatic. We don't need to uh, do it if we're exposed but don't have any symptoms. We don't even need to do it, honestly, if we have a cold and it's day three or four, you have a cold and you're wondering whether to go back to school. Well, just finish your isolation. You only got a day or two more and then go back to school. I mean, the CDC actually permits that, uh, you know, with a, with a mask. And so what we're trying to do is simplify this for parents and help schools return to normal. Very soon, once the rates come down, we'll be talking about taking the masks off or at least going mask optional. Uh, but to me, when you simplify it that way, it starts to take the fear out of this and people recognize, oh, you know, we've been through this before in, t- in influenza seasons and other seasons. Um, it's just that we've been traumatized for the last two years. And, and, and so much of this has become politicized. And a, a lot of the things we're saying now may have been said in, in previous circumstances where, like you mentioned, we didn't have uh, vaccine and, and, and some other natural immunity. We, we were in a different place. When you say them now, there are still some people who are like, oh, no, no, we can't do that. How, like, how do you how do you kind of navigate the waters with with the challenges of, of, of people kind of being dug into their trenches? Well, I think one thing with Omicron, it's everywhere. I don't know a family I haven't spoken to this week that hasn't had a couple people in it. So the eyeball test for most people is probably going to be the biggest game changer when they see a lot of mild disease um, out there. And people recognize those vaccines are doing their work, taking the teeth out of this. That if you've had prior infection, you probably have some benefits there. You know, I think that's going to help the most. But I think it's in the in my with my patients. It's just you know when we started to sit down with them and said, "Do you really need that test?" And they said, "You know, I'll just keep them home for a couple extra days." Right? I think people are start. You know, people are starting to recognize this. It's confusing because the hospital numbers are up so much because everyone got it all at once. And it was like we got 35 inches of rain on the roof. And uh, and so that's what it feels like these last couple of weeks. But that also means the storm's going to pass fairly quickly. And within a couple of weeks, we're going to see less COVID around. And I think this is a time we got to push through for the kids, uh, for our families. People got to get back to work. Kids need to be in school. Yet another heated exchange between Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and Dr. Anthony Fauci. At a Senate hearing this morning, Fauci says the things Paul has said have led to his family getting harassed and even death threats. Fauci says Paul is using the pandemic for his political gain, but Paul maintains his criticisms of Fauci have been justified. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.